This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be on this right now not so lovely Sunday morning. It'll get there. It'll get there. It's going to burn off here in L.A. Right now, pretty overcast. But anyway, here for you, here for your pets. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. And, uh, of course, mothers. <laughs> and uh, if you have any questions, we're easy ways to get a hold of me. And we want the questions. Number one, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. You can also catch me here live, Pet Life Radio. You can go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff, and you will be here joining me live, hopefully with your pet, here on Instagram. Uh, welcome, everybody. Happy Mother's Day as well. And um, but easy to get a hold of me here. You already did. All you have to do is any questions, send them in. Uh, there was some requests to join live. I can't do that because what it does, is it splits the screen. I'm sure technically it's possible, but I am the least that kind of person. So if somebody can once uh, kind of explain it to me, <laughs> help me walk through it, maybe I can do it and not have. So Baron um, Veer has that, an inquiry. So you can go ahead and, and ask what you like. In the meantime, for those of you here on Pet Life Radio, just again, ask away. I did some perusing the news. There's some really good stuff to talk about as well. So in the meantime, while I'm waving to everybody and you are coming up with your brilliant questions, first of all, did you guys see that post I did with the Shackleton? Shackleton was at 140-pound Leon Burger. Oh, my God. First of all, I didn't realize when I filmed it, his head's bigger than mine. He is stunning. And um, it was uh, quite the challenge. As I said, the surgeries are not challenging. But on a dog who's 140 pounds, you definitely need two full sets of hands in there. So um, fortunately, my friend, Dr. Kimbuda, was uh, working out of my office. She's going to be doing so for a couple of months till her place is ready. And um, she scrubbed in with me and uh, we knocked it out. But it, it had, first of all, a non-descended testicle. And again, it's like a needle in a haystack sometimes. It's really hard to find them. Now, on a big dog, that wasn't the concern of finding it wasn't difficult. It was opening up this big abdomen and looking for it. It was actually usually they're much smaller because they're exposed to much warmer body temperature, which is why we want to remove them because they are more prone to developing cancer. Now, you think about this. The testicle in the scrotum is uh, probably exposed to what? ambient temperature, 75, 80 degrees, maybe if you live, depending where you live. But in the body, it's at 100 to 102 and a half degrees. And it's because of that, that we see a lot more cancer. So we want to get them out. Plus, you don't want to breed these dogs anyway, because they could pass that on to their offspring. So neutering was the right thing to do. But with Leon Burgers and a lot of dogs, Doberman Pinschers, Rottweilers, Standard Poodles, Great Danes, a lot of these really big, deep chested dogs, a lot of the owners in the breeding groups want you to do what's called a gastropexy. That is where we actually take the stomach and we pexy, we attach it to the body wall to prevent it from causing GDV, gastric dilatation volvulus, when if they get a bloat. Because that, if you don't get to it soon, that's deadly. So the question is going in and doing something as a preventive measure. And again, I've done many, many of them, but this is one big dog. So in a way, the target's better, but it's so you know powerful. 
and uh, everything is just much more difficult to work with because of his size. So anyway, we knocked it out. He's doing absolutely great. So uh, anyway, got a question here. Uh, my daughter's nine-year-old amazing Terry has been limping on and off for about a month. He was diagnosed with a cruciate ligament tear. Is there a way to recover without surgery? Well, interestingly, my short answer is very short. No, there's no alternative. However, depending on a dog's activity and how bad the tear is, is it a, if it's a complete tear, no, definitely. Now, let's say it's a partial. Let's say he tore 15, 20% of the fibers. If his dog is not active and is a small breed, so it's light on its feet, doesn't run around and jump, then and the dog is nine, hopefully they're probably settling down. If the dog with, you know, with rest at first, non-steroidals, anti-inflammatories, and see how the dog does, yeah, it's possible. Maybe a joint supplement. Um, you know, remember one thing. Part of the pain and a tear is not just the torn ligament and the weakness, but there is effusion in the joint. When the fibers tear, they bleed a little bit into the joint, and that's called joint effusion. That in of itself is painful. So once that resolves, and it usually will with time, the dog might start doing better. My own sister, who's, who's weird with us now, had a dog a long time, remember, that went months and months and months without needing surgery and was getting better. Finally, it just happens. What happens is also, think about this. You have a fiber, a, a tendon, okay? Or excuse me, a ligament, a cruciate ligament, and it is full strength, 100%. So it can withstand a lot of pressure on it and a lot of strength and a lot of movement, and that's what it's for. Now, let's say you, if for some reason an injury tears 20% of the fibers, and now it's down to 80%. Well, an 80% ligament is not as strong as 100% ligament. So another stress on that ligament that would not have caused a problem if it was at full strength, now that it's not at full strength, it might tear from some more fibers. And then can you imagine, just play the game, this keeps going, the weaker the cruciate ligament gets, the less it can withstand, and the more fibers are going to tear. So bottom line, if you talk to a surgeon, it's going to be a, a, a surgical disease. One of my former colleagues, one of the best surgeons in LA, Dr. Ed Leeds, and he was a very conservative surgeon. He was not one of those cut-happy guys. If there was an alternative, a medical alternative, he would take it. And he'd want you to do it first because that way it further justified the need for surgery when they finally broke down and got in the surgery. Well, he used to say about the, remember the, um, that commercials, you know, see you now or see you later kind of thing, the Fram oil filter. So that's how he felt about cruciate ligaments. You may not have to do it now, but you're going to have to do it. And uh, he always would say, look, do what you want. You want to play, do it because you want to put a brace, you want to rest it. I'm going to see you on my surgery table at some point. And, uh, and most of the time he will. Now, to talk about the options, you have a nine-year-old dog, small breed. You do have a couple of options of type of surgery. One is called a lateral suture, all right, which is an extra capsular. They don't go, well, they go to the joint capsule just to check, check the meniscus and make sure that everything else is good. Because if you repair a ligament, you don't check the meniscus, the meniscus is torn, you're going to have the dog's out of problems. So you got to go make sure the meniscus is fine, remove if it's torn. And then they can do an extracapsular lateral suture. For smaller breeds, it usually works just fine, especially a nine-year-old dog if it's not that active anymore. However, for big dogs or smaller dogs that are very active, you want to go with TPLO. And you want to look it up, tibial plateau leveling osteotomy. That is the surgery of choice that the vast majority of surgeons nowadays are recommending TPLOs, even in smaller dogs. So I hope that, that answers your question. And there was, a, uh, there was a question coming from India. Ah, there it is. How come do USA after completing my bachelor's of veterinary science recognized? But ah, oh, that's a great question. So basically, just so you know, I have two docs with me now. 
that are going through the process. You have to obviously do your the language, the English, which I, I know you guys have. One of my, well, she's at tech now because she can't be as a vet yet. She's going through the process. In fact, she just took her boards. She went to school in Australia in Sydney, and they don't have that contract with the U.S., so they have to take the national boards. Well, the Navali, it's called, and, and you have to do that anyway, so that's okay. There are more and more foreign schools are being recognized by the U.S., but if not, you still have to go through the process, at least the Navali, the national state boards, depending on where you want to practice, they have their own states. I heard, might be a rumor, that California is doing away with the California state board. I don't know. I know all we know is we need a lot of veterinarians. So that's one thing, but there's no practical part. So once you have the degree, uh, you can come to the States. A lot of people will work first as a technician. I've done many. I'm one of my best docs ever, Dr. Damon Levisman, who had to go back to Argentina, but he was Argentinian. He was fantastic. He passed everything with through fine colors worked with me as a veterinarian. And the next thing really is all the immigration documents. And that you have to deal, that's, you know, when you're going to come here, is it going to be a green card? How are you going to come? Uh, you're going to get certain, there are certain categorizations that you can get to be able to come here and work as a veterinarian. So it would be really good for you to have a sponsor. I sponsored Damien and that helped him get all the paperwork he needed to be able to stay here and practice. But it can be done. And, you know, we like tell you, the slow pace we couldn't use the veterinarians. So uh, so if your college is not on the AVMA list, it doesn't mean you can't, but you may have to go through some more hoops to actually get what what needs to be done. So you know, some schools, all you do is take the test and that's it. You may have to go through some other testing prior if your school is not on the AVMA list. So there's definitely a way to practice in the US. Uh, there are a lot of Indian veterinarians here. I, I know that for sure. So it is not, by any means, not impossible. It's very possible, very doable. My sister's 13-year-old cat, Kiwi, 10 pounds, such a peculiar diet. Ah, so, you know, for this, I really would need to see a picture. 10 pounds for me is nothing. I have two cats that are at 17, 116, 117. So uh, 10 pounds, boy, that's a lightweight. You know, it depends on the, on the frame. I don't think 10 pounds is obese by any means, unless it's a really, really teeny frame cat. But I, two of my cats should be on a diet. Okay, Eloise, hello. Katie Poo, hi, Mama Sue. All right. Contact me, Paramvir, privately, and we could talk about what it takes. And uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you about that. And practicing under me, oh, yeah, that, that for sure. I mean, they come here first as technicians. First, they volunteer. So, yes, I can, uh, we could talk about that. Okay, next up. So, more questions, more questions. If Juicebox, I love that name. If Juicebox is very active, and plays with hopscotch, then um, it may be, my hunch is you'll need a surgery. Which one? I don't know. It all depends on how much the dog weighs, but uh, you'll definitely uh, need the surgery. So um, while we are waiting for some more amazing questions, let me go ahead. And did I miss anybody? If I missed one, resend me because as you guys are scrolling up, I may have missed a question. and I don't want to miss any questions. But in the meantime, good stories that uh, struck my attention. First of all, one of the things about dementia, we talk about dementia and pets, and one of the things is about impaired sleep is common in dementia patients, people. Well, it's also true for our canine companions. Um, elderly dogs with, with high dementia scores took longer to fall asleep, slept for shorter periods, and had shallow REM sleep. So if work backwards, if you have a dog that is tough to fall asleep, is older, and doesn't seem to stay deep sleep very long, Maybe, maybe he's an early sign of dementia. So cats, as we know, purr when they're content. 
when you're petting up your cat and you're petting it, it's purring. Oh my God, it's like it's heartwarming, right? Because it's just so it's so nice to hear them purr. What? And also they purr when they're anxious or fearful and when they're soliciting food. So if if your cat's purring, it's not just he's happy, he's hungry. He wants to eat. So you want to make sure that, you know, keep note of that. And um and interestingly, purring is good for the cat too. It uh, seems to promote bone and muscle health. So how they came up with that one, I have no idea. But uh, anyway, so that's a good thing. So this is also very interesting. Okay, this was a wow for me. All right, between 2001 and 2020, an estimated 422,659 adults sought emergency care for injuries related to walking a leashed dog. All right, finger fractures, just walking. Now, we're not talking altercation. We're just talking walking. So finger fractures, shoulder sprain, traumatic brain injury being the most common. That means your dog takes off, you fall and trip and you hit your head. Okay. So some of the experts now are, are recommending better control. So first of all, retractable leashes, throw them out. They're potentially dangerous. I've seen and heard of so many accidents with retractable leashes because you can't control them. Sometimes that dog takes off. By the time you figure out which button to push with your finger, they're already in the street and get hit by a car. Now, training dogs would help carrying treats along to always get their motivation, their attention on the treat. Um, those harnesses that are front, you clip in the front, a lot of experts say those are, are better. And, um, and also, if you are take your dogs to places and you know there's a history of distraction, then maybe avoid those places. That's kind of maybe a smart thing to do. That's a, a duh. So anyway, let's uh, take our quick break now because last time I was late on our break. And Mark was giving me the evil eye, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna take a break now. We'll be back after these short messages. Do not go away. How many of you have pets? My hands raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life, and that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, and we're back live. So a question came in during the break. What's the difference between gastritis and pancreatitis? So gastritis definition is an inflammation. I-T-I-S, itis, is just inflammation of. So gastritis, inflammation of the stomach. So animals with gastritis could vomit, uh, may not want to eat, may do some, you know, um, a lot of fluid coming up, just coughing up, spitting up that yellow bile, tenderness, that is gastritis. Pancreatitis, 
is an inflammation of the pancreas. More serious, much more vomiting. They are, I'm more concerned when we're treating a dog with pancreatitis than with gastritis. So just keep that in mind. It's gonna, some dogs with pancreatitis are going to need to be hospitalized on IV fluids. They're vomiting. They totally don't want to eat. Their abdomens are very, very tender to palpation. Um, it is not a good thing to have. So uh, how do they get pancreatitis? It's often from overly fatty foods, too much fat like avocados. You know, it, a little is okay. Some certain nuts, macadamia nuts, very high in fat content. Some walnuts also can cause walnut, walnut toxicity. So you want to avoid super fatty foods. Uh, the dogs get into the garbages. They can get pancreatitis. So something you need to see your veterinarian like right away. Start fluids, 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 and more fluids. All right, my life with corgis. My dogs are ten going on 11, clean bill of health and no issues. What are signs that we need to pay attention as they get older? They're active. Well, okay. So that's the perfect dog where I would say, at least start out at this age with a full blood panel and your analysis, because if nothing better, I, look, it would be fantastic if they're normal, would love it, but we need a baseline and we need your dog's baseline. So in the future, if there's something else going on, you know, so you can have, for example, an elevation, but still within normal. But we know from the past that your dog's normal was much lower. So again, is it panic situation? No, but at least it gives us an idea is what's trending. How is it changing? And that's really what's important. So the key is hopefully you do the lab work, everything is going to come out great. And then just, you know, maybe at this point, think about switching to a senior diet. We know higher proteins in adult foods and certainly puppy foods have an effect on kidneys with high protein. So you want to start bringing the kidney values down, the fat values down, keep them well exercised, make sure they are on a good exercise program. Remember one thing, it's, it's, there's so many vicious cycles here. You have a dog that starts having muscle pain, joint pain, it's old, it's going to happen to all of us. So they start doing less. So what happens when they do less? If you don't make modifications in the diet, they're going to start putting on weight. So now they're fighting not just the diseased, aging arthritis joints, but now they're battling the, the overweight, the obesity, or just not even obese, just overweight, which makes them want to do even less exercise. The less exercise they do now, for two reasons, the, the bigger they're going to get. So encouraging exercise is great. Keeping them lean is great. Look, it's no different than it is for us. You know, I look at my friends and, you know, and it, by the way, as you know, any of us know that you're getting up there, you know, hitting close to 70, right? It's harder to maintain that, that weight. It takes a lot of work and it's difficult and it's difficult to drop the weight. It's really easy to put it on. Oh my God, those hot fudge Sundays look tempting. But once you put it on, it's a lot more difficult to get off. So, you know, keep that in mind. That's the magic. And it's really not magic. It's just common sense. So retractable leashes and harnesses do not train your dogs. You call from the neck to the head of the rain. That's how dogs are trained. So yeah, we definitely want to get them trained. But uh, as far as controlling and training, two different things. Because, uh, you know, I, as I said, these dogs take off sometimes and they have that will, it's a problem. Oh, so metal with fabric can have a, a key lock. Interesting. But it stays on. I wonder, does it have a chip implanted so you can at least track it? Is it able to slip off the head? Interesting. I'd have to see one. So, oh, Apple Air to my French college can track them on my phone. That is good. That I like. Um, that there's these Apple Air, these little teeny tags, and you put them on the French's collars and they can track them by phone. Now, understand one thing, that you can track them up to a point. And that is the point where they take the collar off. Now, if these were embedded, this is the trick. You embedded something in the collar so that it doesn't look like it's a tag. 
It just, you, you have no idea it's even there. That would be the magic. And then they wouldn't think they're going to have to take something off. But that's a great thing. Bison, low-fat meat. Good question. I have to look into it. Chicken, I know. Good white meat chicken. is not just the, the amount of protein. It's also the digestibility and the usability of the protein. And that's why they say chicken has a high digestibility. So it's good. It's better. Oh, so the anti-theft collar can't be cut off. But can it slip over the head if it, if it can? But that make it good. But even with both of them, I would recommend having something where you can the chip can be embedded within the collar under the fabric so they don't, the thief doesn't even know it's there. So they have no reason to think they have to take the collar off. Now let them and by the way, leave other tags on. In fact, you really want to be smart. This is really be smart. Put an air tag on the outside too. So that way they'll think, ah, the air tag, we're going to take the air tag off. Once they take it off, they think there's, they're, they're cool. They're good. They don't know that there's another one hidden inside the collar. So ah, that's a brainstorm. That's a good idea. Go for it. A good dry dog food. You know, can I recommend it? My recommendation of food is, does it make a difference what I like? Because I'm not the one eating it. It's what the dog likes. So I look for foods that, of course, the, number one, number one, they have to like it. I don't care how fantastic, how fantastic the ingredients, how healthy, how natural. If they don't eat it, it's not that good. So get something they like. And if you have to try a few, try a few. And then evaluate their stool, evaluate their energy, evaluate their nice shiny coat. And if you can check off all those boxes, that's a good food. And then add one thing to the equation. How much does it cost? Two things. And how easy it is to get. I have these pieces that people want to get these foods, and they got to drive 30 miles to the only pet shop in the county that has it. No, that's not practical. You want to get something that they, because when you run out, what's going to happen? You're going to have to feed them something. You can't make it over there. Then they're going to get diarrhea because you have to feed them something different. It's just not smart. Get them something that's easily purchased, that is available. Um, and and it's, it's fair priced. Okay. Ingredients, Hills Diet, importance of them. So it all depends on which Hills Diet. I mean, the thing is, for example, when you're, here's how I feel about these specialty diets, whether it's Royal Canaan, whether it's Hills, there's a lot of, you know, they get a lot of people poo poo them. Okay. Maybe for a reason. Maybe the ingredients aren't the finest. All right. If the dog likes it, do you think they care? So most importantly, they all have board certified veterinary nutritionists on staff. Usually a number, I know Hills has a number of them, and they know better than I what is good for the dog with a certain problem, whether it's an intestinal disease, whether it's cancer, whether it's brain, whether it's kidney, whether it's liver, heart, et cetera. And that's how they formulate their foods. And I can't, form, I don't know how to formulate a food for those specific questions. So I'm going to advise my client to at least start with one of these commercially available foods that, um, again, readily available, right? Maybe a little more expensive, but not, not prohibitively expensive. And I know that the science behind them is good science. Now, do I know the ingredients are not, maybe not the best? Maybe they're not. But you can't just look at the, the raw, natural, you know, organic, grass-fed. I mean, you could do that for yourself, yes, but I don't know if, how much of a difference it makes for the dog. And even if it does, it's the other things that count also, unless you have a dog that's just a good, healthy food. But once there's starting to be certain organ-related problems, you need to get the, the particular food that is specific for those problems. And most of us, I can't do it, and I can guarantee most of your veterinarians can't do it either. That, you you want to get a board-certified nutritionist, and now I have one, and I have dual clients that I've turned on to my friend, Dr. Moser, because he does it for a fee, and he will help somebody formulate, but... You really want to talk to an expert.
Okay. Thank you. We get an annual scene physical normal. We have to keep the weight. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so glad your dogs are doing great. I used to have a corgi, and uh, his name was Calvin. Uh, the only problem with Calvin was, besides being way too cute, was that he is herding dogs. You know, you know, and corgis are healers. That means how they herd is they nip at the heels. Well, I've had two big Labradors. And when we got corn, we rescued Calvin um, from a bad situation, thought he'd work out great. He was adorable. But my Labradors did not think he was so adorable as he was biting the heck out of their feet, trying to get them to where he wanted to be. And he wanted to, he was hurting them all the time. And they finally started not nipping a feet, biting. So it was not a good. So meanwhile, while this is going on, one of my clients had got rescued a corgi also. And she said to me one day that she was hoping she was looking for another corgi as a playmate for her corgi. And the, the light bulb in my head went off. I just may have the perfect corgi for you. And they tried it together. And oh my God, these two dogs were Mutt and Jeff. They were inseparable. So it turned out to be just great. So he was a rehome twice, but this second one to this was fantastic because the two corgis could hurt each other all day long. And uh, it worked out really, really well. So what makes a great dry food? Again, open farms makes a great dry food. Okay, that's good. Well, I love these questions. Um, all right, do you need to give flea meds all year round? Or do flea meds cause problems long-term? So, so far, the answer is depending on where you live. Now, back east in the southeast, from the panhandle on to you know, the, uh, the east coast of Florida, yes, fleas are a year-round problem, as are mosquitoes. Therefore, flea tick heartworm prevention should be all year round. In the northeast, Fleas are not really a problem during the winter, nor are mosquitoes. So if you wanted to do those just during spring and summer, I just start probably April-ish, like even March to be safe. Get your dogs tested, heartworm tested negative. I would start and go through September, October. Same here in LA. But however, I'm seeing more fleas earlier in the season, but the new mosquito that we're seeing here in LA is a year-round mosquito. So I think I'm changing my ways slowly, and we are going to have dogs on heartworm prevention all year round, just kind of like in Florida. Maybe not flea, but if you're going to do, you can do these shoes that are, you know, flea tick and heartworm, unless a dog is having, remember a lot of these chemicals, most of these chemicals have no effect on a mammal at all. They just are affecting the insect. So it is okay. I have not heard of toxic problems. However, with the osoxazolines, there it may be a link to dogs that have a predisposition to seizures and some of the oxoxazolines, not all of them, some of them may also be causing stimulating seizure if there's a predisposition. So keep that in mind. Oh, and if it does happen, you can actually just try one of the others. It doesn't mean it's all of them, isoxazoline. So it's, if you're on Brevecto and it happens, try Nexgar, try Cordelia, try Esoperica. Canine caviar and alkaline food approach, okay. Four corgis in the house. Oh my God, that must be heaven to watch. I hope you got a lot of great videos. Um, okay, so that's all we have time for today. Boy, it goes fast, doesn't it? So thank you so much for joining me. Again, how to get a hold of me, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Anyone from Pet Life Radio who has any questions, you can reach me pretty well. You can text me 24-7. I may not answer you 24-7, but I will get to you. Here on Instagram, as you know, send me messages, direct messages, IMs, whatever you want to call them, and give me your phone number. Our Indian veterinarian friend, you want to get a hold of me. So anyway, you can reach me directly. I can uh, go through all of the... Uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, Paramvir. All right. I hope you, I, that's how I pronounce it. So you can reach out to me. And um, well, I can actually ask two of my veterinarians that are still waiting to be past their exams what they have to do if the school is not 
even may approve. But I know it's 100% possible. It just takes more steps to get there. All right. Have a great week, everybody. Happy Mother's Day again to all you moms out there. And um, all right. Be well. Take care. Bye. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.